Have you been to the Ikea? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does it freak anybody? It freaks me out. It completely freaks me out. I do not enjoy it. Uh, there's just too much. It's like all, and I got to do all this work because I got to take the golf pencil and I got to figure out and match it and then I got to go to the, the gate and the thing and then they, and then that's not, you're just getting started because then you got to take it home and put it together. And I bring that up because I don't know if you resonate with this, but when, I am, uh, when I'm building anything, whether it's Ikea or the cheap desk from uh, Staples, um, there's an order in which things happen, and if you skip one of those, you end up, and I don't know that I've ever constructed anything that I didn't have to stop and go, oh, I totally skipped that part. I gotta go back and do it over again, and then that way it'll be stable and it will work. And so that's how it, I feel like that's what just happened to us with Romans 12. I feel like I was getting ahead of the game and I really, as I prayed about it this week and thinking, well, that doesn't really fit the series thing and what about the slides? And, and I felt like the Lord just saying, no, no, don't, you, we can't skip this part. We can't skip the, the verse one. I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brothers, brethren, I'm gonna go King James on you, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like I totally just kept breezing over that the last few weeks and we're going right to the renewing of the mind but if we don't start there, then what this transformation that God has promised us isn't really complete because that's literally step one. It's like when you break out the Ikea thing and they say, hey, put everything out and just figure out if you got all the parts. I always skip that. I'm just assuming somebody in a factory somewhere had done the count and figured it out. But then, then when you've got it all there, then it makes it easier, because I know, hey, this is where those little hexen things go, and the little screw things, and the little thing that I don't even know what it is goes there, and so I know where it all is. This offering myself as a living sacrifice is the first step. And my prayer this morning is that we start, that I start, that we don't skip that. Would you pray with me? Father, as we seek your wisdom this morning in the word, my prayer is for me is that I don't skip this step, that this offering myself as a living sacrifice is so important for all of us. And would you give us direction? Your word is a lamp, it's a light. Give that for us this morning. In, in your name we pray, amen. A few years ago, my, uh, Maddie is not here, right? My 17-year-old daughter, so I can tell the story. So, um, <laughs> We were, uh, the, the, one of the kids workers at the church that I was at uh, found me in the hallway afterwards and said, hey, so, just so you know, Maddie, who probably would have been like six years old at that time, I don't know, just told us all how much Cutlass gets paid for a concert. <laughs> Which I'm thinking, she did? Like, how much did she say? <laughs> Turns out it was right. And, um, and I was, it was that point where I realized, you, know, you parents who think that your kids aren't listening. Oh, she was listening. Listening to me negotiate when I'm driving around town and on the way to soccer and I've got a promoter or whatever. And um, she was listening. Now, the funny thing is, and thankfully, she had actually didn't know the part about the artist writer. You familiar with those? Right? And... If, if, you've, if you've never been in the music world before, it's really one of the main metaphors I know because it was my history, so I'm sorry if it, it doesn't really appeal to you, but uh, it's, it was my, uh, that was my shepherding for the past, you know, 
20 years. The writer is, so I say to you, hey, Ashley, you want a book cutlass for your birthday? Here's how much that's gonna cost. And then I will send a, what we call an artist writer. And it's like the large print giveth, the small print taketh away. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I, the writer is basically 25 pages of what the artist will and will not do, what the promoter will and will not do, in order to make this concert a, a successful event. And those sound, it's actually, to the un, uh, if you've never been involved, it actually sounds a little diva-esque. You know, I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. It sounds a little prima donna. It's uh, like a little demanding, a little. But when you think about it, it actually isn't that out of line because if I'm gonna have a tour come to your event and I have three buses and a semi, well, we need to know where to park those or that we can park those. So we, we covered that. Or hey, they're gonna be on the road for like three months and I really need for their stage clothes to be able to fit at the end of three months. So no Sam's lasagna every day of the week, right? Not as many carbs and sugars as you, would, you might want. We're gonna spread it out a little bit. And hey, the sound and light thing that we're bringing, if I plug that into your wall, it's gonna burn you like a Pop-Tart in the toaster for too long. We can't, we need a, we need a generator to make that happen. So it, it, it is, there's really this back and forth, this negotiation, if you will, that takes place to help make the event happen. And it, we do it because the promoter, the, the purchaser, as the, uh, as the writer referred to them, didn't really know everything. And, and a professional promoter actually wanted one of those because they wanted to know, hey, I'm going to have a caterer and I need to know exactly what kind of food to have. This just makes it so much easier. I just give them this and we know what to do. I know exactly what kind of electricity we have. And if the promoter doesn't know you and doesn't know, the, the, it just, that's a reasonable thing to do now, of course, it does get a little uh, eccentric the more famous somebody gets. You know, you've heard the rumors of the uh, brown M&Ms and Van Halen and all those things. Like it's, there, there are some crazy requests, no question about it. And it's super easy for me, for you, to sit and be judgmental of that and totally miss the fact that what I'm doing to God is the exact same thing. That I'm saying to you, hey, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. But here's about 20 pages of what I will and will not do. Because I really don't have a heart for that. I'm, that makes me uncomfortable, so I don't want that in this. I'm just going to skip that part. And hey, you know, I, as, I'm doing really good at this one, so I'm fine to deal with that. Like I love, I go to church every Sunday, so I'll check that on the thing. And I, that's fine to be in there. And this negotiation unfolds of what I'm comfortable with and what I'm uncomfortable with. And it presumes that I know me better than God does. It presumes that he is not omnipotent, that he is not omniscient. It, it presumes that, hey, look, God, well, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I don't want to go there. That thing that happened when I was a child that I've been trying to avoid successfully my whole life that you want to heal, that's off the table. That's on page 24. Purchaser shall not deal with any of my crap. I want that over here. Church attendance, I'm great. I'm going to do this. In this negotiation of our lives with God saying, I'll do everything you want except this. And I'll let you, God, do whatever you want except this and that. And we treat it like a negotiation. And it's an everyday thing. 
Maybe that's why Jesus, when he said to be my disciple, you have to daily take up your cross and follow me. And over the years, I've heard that in terms of sickness, like that's um, I, this cancer and that's my cross that I have to bear. And, and I understand why, why somebody would say that, but that's, I don't believe that's what the point. When Jesus said, take up my cross, he was speaking of something that I would have to willfully pick up and walk with, that, like a daily thing that I willfully say, this is what I want to do, but I'm going to do this instead, that that's more of the idea of a submitting to his Will. And I understand again why someone would say that, but there's like, seems to me that Jesus was indicating there is a choice that I'm going to get to make. And it's not a one and done deal, it's a daily thing. And Paul said that that offering my life is a reasonable thing to do, not to negotiate and to hold out. And the problem, of course, the problem with me is I think it's a noble thing to do. Like, I think, like, I'm the kid going, hey, see what I just did, God? Do you see how you totally just quit my job and started this church? Isn't that awesome? It's really not. It's just a reasonable response. It's a reasonable thing to do to follow the Lord in a way that says, I'm putting it all on the table for you. It's not noble. It's reasonable. And when I get into the nobility part, that even then, because then pride gets in and I begin to boast about it and not realizing that after everything God did, everything that Christ did, that that's just a reasonable thing. See, when I see the word therefore in the Bible, if you're new to the scriptures, even if you've been around a while, you may not know this, whenever you see therefore, the words therefore, you should go to the verses before it because it's the completion or the finishing or the continuation of a thought. So when you see therefore, go to the verses right before to see what it is therefore. He said therefore because, another way to say it is because of this, than that. Because of what this says, then offering your life as a sacrifice is a reasonable thing to do. Because of what? And, and initially, like when I looked at that, I thought these verses in verse uh, 33, when he says, oh, the depth of the riches of chapter 11, of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Because of that, I beg you to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And that's a pretty impressive thing to lay out there. But as I began to pray about it this week and look over Romans, and if you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to hang out in Romans with me because we're going to do a flyover of Romans. Because I don't think that those verses in chapter 11 are the complete thought. I think that the therefore, because of this, starts with chapter 1. Hey, because you're in a world that's fallen, because of the sin that, has, that is like just pillaging our world right now, greed, and lust and sin, whether it's in Nashville or in Togo, Africa or Port-au-Prince, the corruption, that sin in chapter one, because there's this unsolvable problem. And he would start chapter two by saying, and hey, and you that are now judging everybody from chapter one, be careful because you yourselves are in the same problem because your sin is keeping you separated from God as well. And then he would say, but hey, 
there's a solution to this problem, this unsolvable problem that God would solve. And in chapter three, I would say to you that if you're a note taker, a note jotter, these aren't gonna rhyme or they're not gonna have any like all the same letters. But I would say that as I prayed through this and I would encourage you to go home or even today if the Lord is speaking to you to start writing it out. When I looked over Romans, I would say, hey, because of this, my life as a living sacrifice is a completely reasonable thing to do. And the first thing that, I, that jumped out at me was that grace is not a negotiation, it's a gift. And in chapter three, he would say that in verse 24 that we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, if you do this, then. In fact, he actually said further that while you were yet sinners, I died. And because of that, the grace that he, it was, a, it was an unconditional promise, just like he gave to Abraham. He didn't say, Abe, if you do this and that, then I'll do this. He said the same. It was by faith through, by grace through faith that we would be saved. It's not like a, it's a, literally a gift to us. Sacrifice isn't a negotiation that says, if you do this, then I'll sacrifice. That's a purchase. That's me just, you know, booking an artist. It's you buying a car. But he didn't. He said, I'm giving it all and my grace is sufficient and that your response, my response, if we just stopped right there, it's perfectly reasonable to offer our lives as a living sacrifice because the grace that he gave to us was free without condition. Why would we not give the same back to him? Give us ourselves free and without condition. Grace, sacrificing your life is a reasonable response to that. But the grace was bought, was given through, was acquired by his sacrifice. And what is the reasonable response to a sacrifice? Sacrifice. It, it, most of us are probably not old enough to remember this, but there was a time when our country was at war when our, as a nation, we sent hundreds of thousands of our, would be our grandparents and great-grandparents off to war in World War II and they would give their lives, and it was a huge sacrifice. But you know what our response, and I say our meaning our grandparents, what they would call the, great gener the greatest generation, was to sacrifice as well. The war was going on on the front lines, but back home there were rations. That meant that we had X amount of food for this week, and you had to figure out how you were gonna make it go. Moms who had been stay-at-home moms their whole lives were going off to work and to help. They were sacrificing. Sacrifice is an absolute reasonable response to sacrifice. When he said in Romans 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his own love towards us, that we, while you, while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. It's perfectly reasonable with the grace that God gave, with no strings attached, the scandal of grace, that what's so amazing about it is that Jesus Christ, John tells us, died for your sins, but not just your sins, but the sins of the whole world. It's a reasonable response to that. And the sacrifice that Jesus paid for it is a reasonable response. And if that were it, that'd be enough, but it's not, there's more. It's almost like, remember the Ginzu knife commercial? But wait, there's more. 
It can cut through a tomato and a tin can, but wait, there's more. He offered us in verse, chapter six, verse six, he said, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Paul would say in Galatians that it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Not not freedom to do whatever we want. I thought that in the 90s. That was a bad idea. That was bad theology. It did not turn out well. It wasn't free to do whatever I want. It was freedom from having to do what I had to do. Freedom from the thing that would separate me from family. Freedom from the stuff that rocks marriages. Freedom from the stuff that destroys your life. I'm free from that. And what is a proper response? What is a reasonable response? To offer my life as a living sacrifice. Like that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Not to negotiate and say, okay, I appreciate the freedom you've given me here, but there's a couple of things that I really want to hold on to. Things that I'm kind of hanging out behind that I'll, I'll give you this, the big ticket items, but that, you know, the lust and the greed, I'm going to kind of hang on to that one. It's a reasonable thing that the freedom he gave us, why not enjoy it? When you think about it in our country here, we talk about it being a free country, and I'm sure that's debatable by some standards. But the freedom that was given to us in this country, the temptation is not to sacrifice for it, but to like, gorge ourselves on it. And I think in the scriptural sense of the word that what we get to do is to say, man, this freedom that you paid for, Christ, that you did this amazing thing for me, I want to live free now and enjoy and then offer my life as a living sacrifice for you. It's not just about that. There's more. The Ginzu Knife commercial continues. It's a reasonable response to his sovereignty. In Romans 8, he would tell us in verse 28 that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when I'm saying to the Lord, I'm just going to offer myself as a living sacrifice, it's an admission that the God of all the universe who looked through time and through the millennia, he looked through billions of people and he said, Bethany, I choose you. Romans 8, I'm electing you. I choose you, Dalton. Through the millennia, I'm going to you. I'm choosing you. And so much so that even on when it's not working out for me in my mind, what I want to do is take control of it. What I really want to do is be mad about it and bitter and sad. But by offering myself as a living sacrifice, what I'm acknowledging is, is that God sees things I can't see. He knows things I can't know. So that he would withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly in the Psalms. You and I who are in Christ are those that walk uprightly. And so if I didn't get what I wanted, what I can only assume, what I must assume, what a living sacrifice would know is that it wasn't good for me. That's why I didn't get it. Or that this other thing that's happening, that God will work in that for my good. And I can be mad about it, and I can be pouting, or I can relax into it and say, you know what, God, today, this day I wake up, I'm going to be a living sacrifice for you. And when I get stuck in traffic today, when they blew the bridge up, 
Maybe you needed me parked here for a minute. Maybe it wasn't to catch up on what Rush was saying. Maybe it was because I needed to turn it off and to enjoy some time in your presence here. I mean, you're trapped for 45 minutes. In a world that's so busy, you just got a free prayer time. Maybe God was preventing, I don't, I don't know. Here's what I do know. There will come a day that you and I, Revelation tells us, will be around his throne and we will say righteous and true are your judgments. Now if you're a teenager or a kid, righteous and true are your judgments. That is King James for high five, Jesus. Fist bump, that was awesome. It's like the, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, but it's like the M. Night Shyamalan moment of eternity. The movie, you know the movie where you're like, oh, that's what he was, the dude, dude was dead the whole movie, I didn't even know that. I didn't. If you did, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, but if you, but when we're sitting around his throne, it's like, oh, that's why. That's what you were doing. Imagine that, an eternity of us worshiping him, not because we're robots, because we're like automatons, but we'll be blown away, and what could possibly blow us away for an eternity except for the endless, infinite amount of things that God was doing at every step of your life? And we can say, oh, the aha moment, the payoff moment, the ultimate worship of that's what you were doing. You're so awesome. And on this side of heaven, it's really then about us as a living sacrifice saying, ah, oh, it just irritates me. I cannot believe that that dude just cut me off. Instead of flying the flag from the middle of your hand, maybe fly the flag of surrender from your heart. Say to God, I don't know. I, I. And here's the thing, it's a daily thing. There's no shame or no guilt. That's why his mercies are new every morning. We're gonna need it. And I don't need, I don't get Friday's mercies on Saturday because there's plenty of it. He's got plenty on Saturday. So I can wake up tomorrow morning having exhausted myself thinking, but God had plenty of mercy. I left it over. I got plenty for tomorrow morning for you. And in tomorrow morning I can say daily, it's not a one and done. Today, I'm gonna to offer my life as a living sacrifice to you. We get that opportunity every minute. Because his sovereignty, because of his grace, because of his goodness, who has ever given to the Lord that he would repay him. Because of that, because of that we can offer his, our lives as a, as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice that survives, a sacrifice like Isaac. Isaac, who incidentally was 33 at the time when Abraham marched up that mountain with him. Who was the sacrificer that day? Abraham and Isaac, who would have willfully allowed himself to be tied to that wood. Based on his sovereignty, based on his, on his grace, based on, lastly, his love for us. Romans 8 says that there's nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, not famine, not persecution, nothing. A love that was so great that he became like us. Jesus who left behind became a man like us and who would go to a, a cross to pay for this transformation, this free gift for us. Not unlike, we told the story a couple weeks ago about Ashley and the caterpillar and the butterfly. 
which got me just super curious this week about, I wonder what happens if that word metamorphosis is really about what a caterpillar happens, and that's sort of the same word that we would use. Wonder what happens. Have you guys ever wondered that? Like what, how, what happens when the, the, the caterpillar enters the chrys- chrysalis, or chrysalis, depending on which syllable you emphasize, the chrysalis, did you ever wonder about that before? I, I didn't, and then suddenly I'm like, wow, I really should have wondered about this. Because I, I think if you were to like say, take a, a wild guess, I would have said it's almost, that's kind of like, uh, like Superman. He goes into the phone booth, and he changes his clothes, and he tapes some wings on, and he we got a butterfly. That's not what happens. If you were to cut open, in the, in the, the, the first day after a, butter, a, a, a caterpillar enters the chrysalis, and cut it open, you have to be very careful because you don't want to spill what's inside. Because it isn't like he's in there growing wings. He melts, she melts, it's over. It would be just a little, little tube of, of green goo. Is it dead or is it alive? You tell me because researchers in North Carolina, this absolutely fascinated me wanted to figure out what takes, what, what, is, what continuity happens on the other side of this. And so they took caterpillars in a little uh, area where they put like this raunchy stench this, that would be an unforgettable smell. And every time the caterpillar would get near that, they would shock them, electric shocks, like tasing a caterpillar. Don't tase me, bro. <laughs> they tase the caterpillar. Now listen to this. If you're, if you're, if you're in the sugar coma, Wake up, Taylor Swift, shake it off, come on. Shake it off. <laughs> guess, who has, guess who has daughters? They, they <laughs> Confession, sometimes after I dropped them off at school, I actually didn't change the state. Anyway, I'm just, I feel like we're there now where we can talk like this. When the caterpillar would smell that, it would shock him and he'd walk away. Guess what happened when the butterfly emerged and they smelled that smell. The butterflies who were subjected to that would shy away from the smell they remembered. It wasn't a dead and now there's a brand new thing. There was something inside of that butterfly, a continuity that carried through. And yet, there was a 100% transformation that happened. That somehow out of the green goo of the chrysalis would rise a butterfly. Someday you and I will rise into eternity. We will have continuity. It says we will fully know as we are fully known. But from the green goo of your life will arise you in eternity. In Psalm 22, when Jesus speaks of this, there's a prophecy. If, you're, if, if, if you, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but there's, David writes these words. It's a messianic prophecy. Messianic prophecy, if you're a teenager, is an Old Testament prophecy that would then be fulfilled by Jesus on the cross or in his life on earth. And Psalm 22, 1, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were the words of Jesus on the cross. And this prophecy would go on to talk about in verse 17, I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and my clothing is, they cast lots for my clothes. Things that were fulfilled with Jesus, it actually talks about him piercing his hands and feet in verse 16, but if you're not careful, you'll skip over verse six, but it says, I am a worm and not a man. I am a worm 
and not a man. And that word worm is the word toloth, which is a worm. If you look at any parts of the Old Testament where it talks about the color red, scarlet. In the, in the tabernacle, when they had red, they didn't go to Joanne's fabrics and get red fabric. They had to make red, and they would make it by taking these toloth worms, crushing them up, and it would make red dye. These red worms would make a red dye, and that was where the, uh, the red in the garments of the priests, for instance, were made from these toloth worms. Now, that's not it. That would, that would be awesome enough. Jesus says, I am red, I am a worm, I'm the toloth worm. But it gets better. The toloth worm, when it reproduces, you talk about a home birth, check this out. It climbs up onto a piece of, to a tree, climbs to a, you know, a tree branch, and attaches to the tree. Check this out. And the way that it reproduces is it attaches, pins itself to the tree, and explodes. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? We used to do that with firecrackers and caterpillars, but that's a whole different thing. I grew up in a weird, weird world. Attach itself, listen, to the tree, blows up, red, and it reproduces. What a picture of Christ, who was pinned, and from his blood would be born this new life, the bride of Christ, you and I, but it doesn't stop there. After a few days, the toloth worm the red spot that's left, there's a little red stain left on the tree, will turn to white and flake and snow off like little snow. And so maybe that's why in Isaiah when it says, though your sins be scarlet, toloth, that word, they shall be white as snow. The toloth worm. Jesus was a worm. He said, I am a worm, a picture of that, the picture of the caterpillar of what, where we are and what God has done in our lives. Because of that, isn't it just a reasonable thing to do? Like, it's like a duh, obvious response to that. And I believe the enemy would have us to believe that it was noble that only other people do that because I'm not good enough. I'm not. Of course you're not. That's one of the reasons why to offer yourself as a living sacrifice because you weren't good enough and Jesus paid a price that cashed the check on your stuff and all your crap and from the green goo of your life. As we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, that caterpillar, what's he given up? Really? Have you seen what a caterpillar eats? It's just like they, they eat poo. Did you know that? <laughs> caterpillars eat poo. Walk out into the pasture and see sometimes there's caterpillars climbing over the, the little uh, mines, landmines that are horse leaves for us because they eat, they eat nasty. They're, what are we holding on to? <laughs> Why not crawl into the chrysalis and allow our lives to be changed? Not just for eternity, but even on this side of heaven that behold, all things are become new, Paul would tell us. Old things are passed away. It's a reasonable thing to do. And my prayer for you and for I as we worship for just a little while longer is to look into your heart today and say, man, what is my holdout with God? For me, and it's so, I said it, it's not a one and done. I think for a long time in my life I thought it was a one and done. Like when I left behind the life that I had and my family and I sat and looked each other in the eye and said, yeah, you know what, God wants us to plant a church. It wasn't, it wasn't noble. It was just, well, that's a reasonable thing to do if that's what God asks you to do. 
But the danger for us would be to just look on the macro and say, okay, well, this is all about do I want to go to Africa or not, or do I want to be a missionary or not, and forget that on the micro, on the day, an infinite God means he's infinitely large. And listen to me, especially if you're a teenager, listen to this, it means he's infinitely small, which means that he could be so big that he could sneeze stars and so small that he could care about your broken heart. And in the day-to-day of your life, to offer yourself as that living sacrifice is just a perfectly reasonable thing to do. To say, man, I have no idea why that girl is saying all those mean things to me on text messages. But I'm going to offer my life as a living sacrifice. And say, God, I'll let you take care of that and I'll just offer myself to you every single day. It's so reasonable. There's no negotiation. It's kind of, when you think about it, isn't it dumb to think that I can negotiate with God? It's such a no-brainer. And as we move into these few weeks of what is God's will, his perfect will, his pleasing will and good and all those things, we have to start with saying that I trust you enough, God, that Romans 1 through 11, that all this stuff that you've done, that it's a reasonable thing for me to do today to say to you, here's me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Think today, what pages, when I did it, I, when I started this, uh, we started on this journey with my wife in this church, I, I actually had a mental picture of me just tearing up the writer. And when I sang the words, all to you, I surrender, I actually, for that day anyway, meant it. And we're gonna sing those words in a few seconds and maybe today, you can't lie to God, I mean seriously. He knows if you don't mean it. But take a good hard look at your life and start with maybe the one or two things. Hey, you know what? I've been holding this back. I'm going to give this to you. And then it's almost like you're cleaning out a hoarder's closet, all the things you've been hoarding in your heart. Tomorrow, just a little bit more and a little bit more. And before you know it, you've gone from selfish to a little more selfless. You've gone from immature to a little more mature until one day from the green goo of your life will rise this butterfly for eternity. Father, would you give us wisdom today? Thank you so much. Would you forgive us, Lord, for holding back, for being stupid, (laughs) just thinking I had it under control. I'm so grateful for your patience with, with me and with us. And today, Lord, as we're going through the closets of our mind, there might be some obvious things and there might be some not so obvious things. But today, Lord, there might be some pain in our heart that from a childhood wound, from a father who left, from a mother who was angry that I could let that go today and just say I'll offer myself to you and let you dig and clean that out of me. And for others, it might be that there's a thing that you've asked us to do, ask me or ask them to do, and they're holding back because they're scared. Might we be like the... The psalmist David in Psalm 139, could we just say to you today, just search us, know our, know our hearts, Lord. See if there's any wicked way and to clean out our fears, just clean it all out today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. It's in the nature of who you are, in the goodness, in your grace, the, everything that you are, that we could pray these things. Amen.